0: Welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Welcome to episode number 123 of the A Cork the Road podcast. I'm Kelly, your host and producer of the show, and also the founder of A Cork the Road LLC, a wine events and media company based in Atlanta, Georgia. My guest for today's episode is Nori Chinea, the Southeast Regional Manager for Laurent Perrier Champagne, and she has more than 15 years of marketing and sales experience in the wine and spirits industry. Nori is now considered a specialist in the champagne category, and her passion for wine has led her to earn multiple certifications from the International Wine Guild, in addition to passing the introductory level of the court of master sommeliers. Prior to working with this champagne house, she worked with French wines in other regions and also gained experience working in distribution before moving to the supplier side of the industry. Now in her current role, she manages all commercial sales activities, including customer and distributor relationships, marketing program execution, and local brand activations. I had so much fun talking to Nori about this side of the business. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. We might even spark your curiosity to book a trip to Puerto Rico soon to check out their vibrant wine scene. So fair warning. Coming up for A Cork in the Road LLC, I just returned from spending a week out in California visiting with winemakers in Napa and Sonoma, and it was so much fun. Thank you to everyone who welcomed us with such warm hospitality. It was pretty incredible. I created a little highlight on at A Cork in the Road Instagram profile, so you can go there to see all the visits and locations that were part of this trip. But looking at the calendar, there's a lot happening already this spring, and I just updated the events tab on WW www.acorkintheroad.com with ticket links and details for a bunch of things that I'm really excited about coming up in the next couple of weeks. On February 28th, I'm teaming up with Chef Pat Pascarella for another cooking demonstration and wine pairing in the theater at the Epicurean Atlanta Hotel, and this time cook a classic Italian Sunday supper, and I'll be showcasing some Italian wine pairings for this three-course interactive meal. On March 6th, I'm hosting a Spanish wine dinner at the Iberian Pig in Buckhead, featuring the regions of Spain that I just visited this fall. And I'm already a little emotional about the producers that I get to feature for this multi-course menu. It's kind of a work of art. And then on March 7th, back in the Epicurean Atlanta Theater, I'm doing a Girl Scout cookie pairing event featuring five pairings designed by some of my favorite leading ladies in Atlanta wine. And my friend's daughter, who's a local Girl Scout, will be joining me for the presentation. So check those out if you want to join us. And speaking of my visit to California, this episode is generously sponsored by Diane Carpenter and Ross Knoll Vineyard in Sonoma County, who support this show by sponsoring one episode a month so I can keep doing some pretty cool things like live audience episodes and host meet and greets with winemakers when they come to visit Atlanta. Out in Sonoma, I sat down with our winemaker Justin to taste some barrel samples of the 2023 vintage including several single vineyard Pinot Noirs and we popped open a bottle of the new single vineyard Blanc de Noir that is made from grapes from the vineyard that Diane planted in 2017. It was pretty special to preview this wine because it's actually the wine in the lineup that originally inspired Me to come on board for this project. So, the team is really excited to release it this spring. So, keep an eye out for updates on when it is available to order. And you can follow at Ross Knoll Vineyard on Instagram to stay up to date on all things Ross Knoll. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter on Acorkinthoro.com. I've also got my first live audience podcast recording on the books for a winemaker who is coming to Atlanta during this little thing called the High Museum Wine Auction. So, get ready for a lot of continued conversations that are coming your way this spring on this show. Until episode 124, here's a big cheers with champagne for Nori, and we'll talk soon. to have you on the show. Thanks for being here, Nori. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is exciting. So exciting, but maybe a little less champagne in front of us right now than when I met you here in Atlanta that beautiful Tuesday. That is true. So usually when I'm talking about champagne, yes, I'm in front of a couple of bottles.
1: So not that this time.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, as the regional manager, maybe a typical Tuesday does involve a lot of champagne. You know, it depends the day. You know, usually champagne
1: events are actually during the week. So yes, it could be that from Tuesday Wednesdays and Thursdays are or busy times to see clients and to do lunches and yes and uh believe it or not the Fridays and the Saturdays are the quiet ones for us that's where we hide and we
0: don't drink champagne. <laughs> On the Saturdays when people are partying, your work of drinking champagne is done by then. <laughs> it is. It is interesting because I think most people
1: already know that, that by the weekend, it's like, no, I want quiet. I actually want quiet. I already went to all of those great restaurants and accounts and, uh, and they were great. But today I want quiet. So it's, it's kind of like the opposite, yes.
0: Well, it was a beautiful Tuesday for me here in Atlanta when I got to meet you and you were here sharing so many beautiful champagnes. How did you like that little Atlanta twist, though? Those Chick-fil-A biscuits, the pairing from Ryan Mullins, what did that add to the tasting here in Atlanta? You know, that's one of my favorite things to do, to add...
1: Uh, strange bearings, you know, coming from a Latin background. I'm um, like, I could th- keep thinking when you think champagne uh, you think caviar, right? And that's a classic uh, and salty. But then through time we discover that salty and fried is great. So coming from a background of uh, of Latin food that there's so many great deep frieds. I got to do all my own tastings and I still do. And uh, by the time I met Ryan, I'm like, what a mastermind of it. You know, last time it was some sandwiches that they were perfect. And when you invite customers, believe it or not, if you invite them for a super high-end caviar tasting versus something of burgers or French fries that sometimes or popcorn tastings that I have done, they prefer that. That's more interesting.
0: Because champagne can go with all of it. It could go.
1: It's I it's make it make it your own. I always say make it your own. Make it it's up to you. So what's your favorite? Make it your own. It all depends on and what how do you feel in the day
0: too it was perfect here in Atlanta to have an Atlanta staple item with these amazing champagnes. So hopefully that was a really good tasting for you as well. And I want to hear a little bit more about this current role that brought you to Atlanta because you cover this territory, but it's not just Georgia. What is your role like and what territory do you cover? So I started with uh,
1: LP, well, that's what we call it. So when you don't want to say the whole name, Lauren uh, We start. I started six years ago and I was only Florida, but still Florida, is pretty, pretty large. And uh, little by little, we started adding. So in the next territory was uh, Tennessee. At that time, it was five years ago. So that is previous to the Nashville days. You know, I had a vision that, okay, this is the next big thing, right? Uh, when, when we see so many hotels moving in and so many new things happening. Five years ago, I would remember that. At my first visit to Nashville, they told me, little girl, we'll buy you the little bottles of champagne because nobody drinks champagne. And now I have to allocate champagne for the big clubs because it landed. It's you know, We have the Four Seasons. We have the big JW Marriott. We have we have all of our customers there. So that was my second one. Then Georgia was added. I'm going to say this is the second year that I put my previous role in another company. I, I also manage uh, Georgia. So I was familiar with it. And then South Carolina, that's my first time that I that I managed South Carolina. It's just interesting. It's, uh, you, you know, that the liquid loss is the most interesting part, that what I could do in one territory, I can't do. You know, it just, I, I still don't understand why I can't have the big bottles in Florida, right? The six the six uh, big ones or the nine liters, and I can't. So it's every single territory, it's completely, completely different. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think every single territory, they all love bubbles.
0: Yeah, they're probably not too mad to see you walk in the door with your samples for the day when it involves your champagnes, but how do you describe this brand? Let's say people are not as familiar with it. Maybe they know, maybe they've seen the label, it's recognizable, but if they're not familiar with this brand, what sets it apart? How do you describe it to people in the world of champagne? I will say,
1: uh, there's one word that describes the style of LP, and uh, we are freshness. So it's just the most fresh bottle of champagne. In the spectrum of champagne, you know, that's when we go into the champagne region, and I love that. That's my favorite part, and that's how I got into it. It just, we're, we're a small community. We probably between 10 houses have. All the market share of, but we still all believe in, you know, in that in that passion that brings a bottle. We've been making this for over 200 years, some of them almost 300 years. We are just different profiles. We all just have a different winemaker that just like... Uh, if you think about it we are all we are all different engineers of what we we could be doing exactly the same product but it's just our, our engineering on what we believe so for us we are all about being fresh so we are the first house that pretty much changed everything that is made in barrels right that that would give that woody and, and nothing wrong with it it's just that that is not who we are that is a different kind of champagne and we wanted to go stainless steel and our, our story is fantastic you know when nobody was doing stainless steel we well venture and and we actually imported stainless steel tanks just to try it. And we realized that once you do the, the, the first fermentation and you start with that kind of product, it's just very easy, very fresh, very elegant. If you put them all together, you know, I can't be naming other names, but, you know, the big other boys of the world, of the champagne world, they're going to be in the completely separate spectrum because they usually have like a 30% of their wine has been reserved in wood. So that will give them those those heavy notes. And for us, it's just like mineral. It's just like crystal. It's, it's just easy. It's very dangerous because you could have two or three bottles because it's so fresh and elegant and easy. So even before I was with LP, I loved it, especially for the, the rosé. It's just a bottle that I recognize. And as soon as I got this call to come into this company, as soon I, I could only think of the, the rosette bottle of LP. We are that that special champagne company that we are not super large, right? So we are considered the fourth or the fifth, depending you know, how you finish every year. Uh, but we are a family-run company. So we are still a family-run company. There's a female family-run company. And we still have the same beliefs, you know, so we really concentrate on making good champagne. That's that's all we want, that it's that it's our day in and day out and uh, how to take care of the customers. And that for me was very, very important to work for a company that understands that we're all humans. Right. And we're trying to make the best possible product and pretty much hand sell it. You know, I I say this story and everybody that works with me in this company has the same belief of because we believe in the product. We really truly understand the quality of it and how much it takes to to produce one little bottle. And when you when you talk to the customers, it's so amazing to see that LP and specifically the rosé is always that special bottle of that special day. Of their anniversary, their divorce, their you know kids' birthday—it's is that special special bottle, and to know that you work you know in the whole part of how it was brought into that table—that's uh, makes me happy.
0: You get to be part of that special moment just way earlier. You helped make that happen, yes. and we talked a lot about that stainless steel aspect while you were here in Atlanta. I know it was a strategic decision, but then a lot of our conversations with every consecutive bottle that you shared, we were talking about aging and on the lees and the different cuvee mixes. Like It was a very strategic process to learn about how precise these wines are. and I got really excited about that. You get to share that with so many people. How many people are there like you on the team? How many other representatives here in the United States oh do we have? Uh, we have, let's see, I would have to count
1: right now because we are, we've been growing. I started in a company that we were probably like seven. For now, I think last headcount that I did, we were 20. So we have a regional manager in the West, one in the Central, one in the North, one in the Southeast, one in the uh, Southeast, of course it's me, Northeast. So, and we all come with pretty much the same background and the same Victory and the same, you know. I I'm probably the oldest by now in time in the company, but it's every single time we start with somebody. Know they they have like this this freshness and happiness because they all believe in the brand. And coming from twenty something years of wine, you know, working with wine, it's not the same story always. I I, I also worked for the company that you were like. How am I different than anybody else? So when you represent a brand that has a face, you know, I know I know the owners, I know those two ladies, I know how 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 much they work for this brand to be exactly the same and
0: remain family run. So it's it's different. It's a different feeling. And then you get to build relationships from that with the people in your territory. And we tried here in Georgia a wide variety of champagnes. You brought things that had zero dosage, to brut, to rosé, to the demi-sec. So how do you decide when you're on the road and you're meeting with your clients, how do you decide what to showcase? Are you picking different things here in Georgia, for example, than in Charleston? Like, how do you decide what to showcase each time?
1: It's all about uh, what kind of clients are we going to see. You know, if there's an opportunity for a Ted that is like the top of the house, absolutely, that bottle is coming. But that's a bottle that is a little bit expensive in our sample budget, right? We all work with the sample budget. But if we see that, no, this is more like a Brut and Rosé day, okay, so we just pick those. But to be honest, I always carry you know my my big boys in the back just in case because that's that's the whole idea. If you're in front of that customer, yes, I'll open it. You know, if, if I see that there's no there's not a, a, an account that could actually potentially understand or buy that kind of wine, and I, I don't I don't like to be pushy. I'm all about the story of it, and if they want to try it, it's always a yes. We have a. Jube Alexandra. Alexandra is it's actually the owner of the company. And when it was her wedding in the 80s, the dad, Bernard de Nonacor, the creator of pretty much everything that we enjoy today, he created Cuba Alexandra as a gift for his wedding. We sell a handful of bottles pretty much. It's it's just a very, very limited. I'm gonna say in Georgia, I'm gonna say maybe six cases, seven cases of nine liters. So that's 12 bottles. So it's a, it's, it's a handful really. And it's a tiny production that we have. We just changed to 2012 from 2004. So we have only done it, I believe it's seven times. It's it's the eighth release since the eighties. It has to be something extremely precise. It has to be in, this, in the bottle for over 12 years. So long story short, it is an expensive bottle, right? But it's a very specific bottle. And it's an amazing, I call it infinity in a glass. Once you start pouring that, every time I open that bottle for customers, even the customers that can't afford it for the restaurant or their off premise or the account or the retail, they will buy it for themselves. So it is that special.
0: Right to have a personal collection. Is, yeah. <laughs> they can't help it, but buy it. Yes. Yes.
1: I I, I have many stories like that, that I had been out with uh, with the sales managers and we say, yeah, let's see what happens. And at the end of the day, we sell 17 bottles of that. And they were all for, for each of those buyers. They wanted to take advantage of it because they know it's such a special bottle.
0: Oh, and then that creates that moment later on that you got to see the beginning of I guess technically, at our tasting, there was a star of the lineup that we all were gathered there to see, the, the main event, if you will. What was that extra special bottle that you got to open for us here in Atlanta? We did 26, the
1: Grand Siak 26, or jewel and uh, the story, it couldn't be more beautiful. That's how the, the company started. We started in 1812, correct? And then we had a first owner, then he passed the house to his uh, chef de cabs, it's uh, the winemaker second winemaker died in a cellar accident, and his wife takes over in the age of 1800s. Her name is Mathilde Laurent Petiers. So, in the 1940s, a lady by the name of Marie-Louise Sanson, she takes over the house, buys it. At that time, it was a very run-down house. And then the war, second war, came in, and uh, her son, that was a survivor of the war, uh, his name is Bernard de Nonacourt. Bernard de Nonacourt is the father of Alexandra and Stephanie, the owners nowadays. So Bernard is the one that had the vision. He's the one that said, you know, the f- future of champagne is freshness. So where do I find stainless steel bats? We didn't have that at that time. He's the one that says, we don't have a tête de cuvette, you know, the, the, the top of the top of the house. So how do we do that? So in his vision, he thought, okay, so I am, instead of having one year, right, what we call the vintage in champagne means that everything has to come from that perfect year. And the reality is that no year is perfect, not even for you, for me personally, you know, it's not, nothing is perfect, right? If my life is messy and it's awesome too. Cheers to that. Messy and, and fun. So imagine how boring it would be without the messes. So, so he says, okay, I'm going to put three years that complement each other, and this is a project that he starts in the 50s with uh, with Grant. so that is the first time that he creates his first iteration. So we call it iteration, the repetition of a process, trying to find the solution to the perfect year. And by combining three complementary years that will bring the the characteristics, we were thinking, okay, so this bottle is going to keep evolving and we're going to see how it goes. Wine, as you know, is a living entity. It just keeps evolving, evolving, right? What you have today in 20 years is not going to necessarily be exactly the same. It just had evolved into something different. So we were thinking that that was going to be our main wine. So what you taste it is the 26th release of that wine that started in the 50s so it is that special and as soon as it was released it, uh, it was awarded 100 points so oh. Most houses by now have released around 50 vintages, right? It's in the 50s, we have released still in the in the late 20s. So we're very specific. And our idea is because of the vintage of a, of a Lauren Pedier that right now we're in 2012. And it's amazing. I, I, I did open one bottle of that last week and I'm like, it's so beautiful. So it is ready. Once we release, it is perfect. It is ready. We went from 06, 07, 08, and we jumped to 2012 because we always know that that vintage will end in Grand Tech So it has to be exactly what we're looking for, for the future. And it goes into our library, and I love that word, that they call it library, those tanks of the back that are like 200 tanks of, of amazing wine, they call it the library. So it goes into the library until it's ready to be blended into the next iteration. So we're right now in 26, and uh, we're still not moving, so you tasted a pretty Pretty good wine.
0: I knew it because the energy in that room was just pure wine-loving excitement. Everyone had heard the legend, the myth, whatever you want to say about this wine, and then you opened it, and we all just kind of sat there in awe of it. You get to see people do this a lot. What types of things do you do when you have a release like that? What type of events stick out to you? Do you have those moments of, wow, I get to finally share this wine? You know, it's exciting because I
1: what I do is that I keep some older Right. So, and that's my whole purpose. I still have some 23. I still have some 24. And if I see the opportunity, just so they could see how it evolves. So, a 23, it's still as beautiful, but completely different from what is a, a, a 26 and how it will keep evolving. So by selling or by presenting the 26 that is so they describe it as electrifying and it is, it's so alive. But then I explain what is a 23 and they get to try it. And mostly the fact that there's, it's not for sale 23 or 24 that's gone. It's completely gone, depleted from every market. So only in Magnums nowadays, release Magnums later. We. Uh, leave them to to mature longer time. So it's it's to see their their faces of what is coming, and they already understand where is 26 gonna end up eventually in a couple of a couple of years. But I think my favorite question when I when I present a wine like that is to look into exactly what are the dates that it was uh, the three complementary years, and I should know of 26, and they're not in my head. But I ask, where were you in that year? And that is something that people, you know, specifically, I do that a lot with Alexandra. Once we open a bottle and we tell them, hey, this is my last vintage before 2012 was 2004. And I love asking when I was presenting Alexandra, for example, where were you in 2004? And they immediately light up and have a story of where were they? And then at the end, when everybody shares, they know a little bit more about each other and they realize, and that's when I usually say, so think about that from that day in your life to this, this is how long it took for us to be sitting here and enjoying this amazing bottle. And this is why champagne, it's passion and it's just a patient and passion, a lot of it.
0: Patience and passion, that resonates with me, especially about the style of that wine. And often the occasions that people open champagne in are a passionate moment. But I also say that you can have champagne with your chicken biscuits anytime you want on a Tuesday. So you can have that moment as well. You don't have to save it for just always special occasions.
1: I call it the only uh, non-judgmental alcoholic drink. Because I say that you could have it at 5 a.m., at 3 a.m., at 4 a.m. at 6 a.m. You know, how many people do you see in the in the lounge with a glass of champagne at six in the morning getting into a flight? Nobody, nobody says anything, but we all look at the one that is drawing tequila shots. We're all like, huh. Ah.
0: But nobody, nobody, if it's champagne, if it's champagne, you're fabulous. It goes along with the no rules in the airport. So that I mean, I feel like it just makes a lot of sense. No, and it's a wonderful way to bring people together and create memories. I think when those bottles pop, there's always going to be a memory no matter where you are. And I love that you get to be surrounded by that all the time. And I think about how much I love champagne. I know how much you do. But what do you think makes a successful market for champagne? You work in several different types of areas. So as you've been selling and talking about this portfolio of champagne, do you think that there are elements that would make it successful in one market over the other? You know,
1: the the key element for us is education, explaining who we are and how do we make our champagnes. That it's uh, the fact that we're a family-run company. The fact that um, this year, for example, actually last year, <laughs> we were able to take our distributors, like uh, the, a lot of our uh, directors, into the winery. And they've been selling our, our wines in most markets, uh, I would say, for six years. They've been representing. It is not Until they see, or facilities, same building since 1812, original owner buried on the back. Same uh, seller where the second owner died in a seller accident. is the same seller. And they understand the history. And then Alexandra shows up. uh, That is actually Alexandra, the owner. And then the daughter shows up and starts talking about the grandfather and how we are still trying to do exactly the same and uh, how proud we are about our product. I think that that is the key element still after 20 years in the industry is the story. And that is why I love what, you know, what what I do. It is all about the story, the story of why, why, when and where and uh, how much work it is. And uh, once they hear that and they chase your product, forget it, it's sold, sold, <laughs> sold, 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 sold. So we are, I, I think, you know, yes, people know champagne and all of that, but we are that champagne. They want to know the story because it's such a cute one and it's so interesting and they believe immediately and I still believe it too and I think everybody that works with me it feels exactly the same. It's just like we know that at, you know eventually one day in 20 years if we're still lucky to be alive, we're gonna look back into our bottles of, of LP and we're gonna say you know what we we made it we made it that it's still a female run beautiful company
0: making this fantastic product. We're very proud of it. you get to tell this story you get to be oftentimes maybe, the first time someone has heard the story, it's from you. So your storytelling is a wonderful gift that you get to bring to these people and share the champagne along with it. And you and Ryan I both actually in Atlanta mentioned... I
1: mean, so let me throw it out
0: there. I love Ryan. <laughs> it's you guys are both storytellers. So I feel like that type of event where you both are just so happy about sharing the bottles that you brought... It brings all that energy to us. And so I think we all felt that the combination of you both storytelling was pretty awesome. And you both mentioned that LP is pretty popular in Puerto Rico. And I got really excited about that because I didn't know anything about the wine scene in Puerto Rico. And that's where you grew up. I did. I did. And it's so cool because it has nothing to do with
1: me. I have not done anything there. So it's not my sales. And it's such a cool story. Uh, when I started, actually, we went, we we do like different trips, uh, like um, team meetings twice a year in different areas. And they send us to, what is it? Let me think. It That is Idaho. What is the ski area in oh, Idaho? Sun Valley? Sun Valley. I had no idea about Sun Valley six years ago. I've never been. I didn't even understand how to find a flight there. So and by the way, it's Denver and a tiny plane. And I don't do tiny planes, but I had to. So uh, we went there, uh, went to uh, Hemingway's uh, grave, if you wanted to know that part, too. So once we're there, they tell me, hey, uh, we have the owner of the distributor in, in in here. He has a house here. And I, I don't even understand. What do, you, what do you mean? Like the owner of what distributor? And they're like, yeah, in Puerto Rico, the distributors are actually owned, privately owned. So they're telling me, yes, you should meet him. So we all go. The whole LP team goes into his house in Sun Valley six years ago. And his name is, his last name is Chimino. And I get to meet him and he gets to tell me that he used to be friends with Bernard de Nonacord, And I'm like, wait, excuse me, what? (laughs) So his father was friends. So that relationship was years and years. So yes, imagine he owns a distributor. His father was friends with Bernard de Nonacord back in the day. So imagine Bernard, what an innovator he was, that he already knew that tiny little island and and, and a distributor. They take care of it like it's their own. By the way, growing there, it's it's a big uh, wine scene. So they know their wine. The collectors are serious. The wine shops are serious. So that I knew that's how I started learning. But the fact that my, my, my previous, you know, the creator of all of our brands, you know, actually was a friend of the owner of Puerto Rico, that was that was shocking for me. And uh every time I go, I was there for New Year's Eve again, the same thing. And it's funny, the, all my the houses, all my girlfriends, it's it's piles and piles of LP, and I have nothing to do with it. It's just It is the champagne that you drink. You don't
0: drink anything else, you know, nothing else. So when I go to Puerto Rico, because it's a when, not an if, it's going to be just a when situation. I'm going to be popping some bottles of LP. But did you ever think growing up there, now it has this vibrant wine scene, but... Going up there, did you ever think that this is what you'd be doing, Nori? Never, and it's
1: so cute because when I go there, I sit with all my friends or my original friends, and they're they're still talking about. Do you remember when I teach you about this and teach you about that? I remember my first boss. He was with me the other day in a, in a wine in a wine uh, restaurant, and we're we're talking about that. That it was Spanish. Spanish and cabas are very big in Puerto Rico. But it was him and his friends, you know, opening bottles that, that started my, my curiosity. It's just so cool that, that it all it all came through. So I am supposed to this year for the first time be able to do an event in Puerto Rico. And I don't manage it. They're just saying, you know, why don't you actually do an event if you are originally from there? So, so we're working on the details. So maybe you go for that for the event.
0: I'm really good at being a party guest. So absolutely. Yes. <laughs> me too. I like a good party. So sign me up. Oh, that's so fun. But in that, that's going to be such a big deal to kind of tie in the past and growing up there, but not knowing that this is where you'd end up, but then having the opportunities to reconnect through now the champagne and the wine and spirits and all of that. What aspects of the Puerto Rican culture do you personally enjoy the most? What would you tell somebody who hasn't been there? Now I know I can go drink a lot of LP champagne, so that's going to happen, but what else makes Puerto Rico so unique? It's it's just fun. It's just happy people. It is the best vibe that
1: you could possibly imagine as soon as you walk in. we're happy. We love amazing food. The food scene and the restaurants and the chefs, it's just, it's just amazing, amazing. And it's all so local, so entertaining. You're never gonna be bored. There's always something to to do. You know, my uh, one of my managers here in Florida, she was in Puerto Rico at the same time uh, that I was uh, like two months ago. And I invited her for a lunch, for a dinner with me and my friends from, from Puerto Rico. And she's still talking about it. She's still telling me today that I was so fun. How could it? It is a fun city. You know, every time I go back, I'm like, oh my god! I laugh. I can't believe it. But you know, and, you know, it's. Uh, I wouldn't have a nine-year-old beautiful little girl. I wouldn't have my career, right? It's just decisions that you make, and uh, I really enjoy going back and seeing that it's such a big wine culture, and that I was a little, you know, at the beginning of it, and that that is how how it all started. And I think in that you're always supposed to be in the right place at the right time, and uh, that's how I see my whole career. You know, it's nobody told me, hey, you should go and study this and do this. I just was at the right place at the right time, and I said yes, and I said, "Oh, why not? You know, I could do it. I, I don't know." And something that I, I really enjoy of my company, uh, it's that they, they believe too. You know, as soon as I came with my, with my resume, <laughs> they didn't think about it. They just said, "Yeah, absolutely, yes." You know, you should. You should have this kind of roles or for for Florida and for the Southeast and uh and they gave me the opportunity so 20 years ago it was a little bit harder you know when there was not too many roles like this but uh more and more we encourage everybody that you want to learn it is possible it is possible so usually I start my meetings saying you know what we're going to talk about champagne and the end of this hour you're all going to be champagne specialists and don't forget that if I could do it, that I'm Puerto Rican. I don't know nothing about rum. I should know any something about rum. I'm actually a specialist of, of, of sparkling, so anybody could do it. Anybody. It's possible.
0: Think of how many people you've possibly inspired to jumpstart their career in that direction after you say something like that. Like, that's really, really profound. But you came to the world of champagne with experience representing other wineries. I mean, you had worked really hard to build your knowledge base in the world of wine in other regions of France, like Alsace, Bordeaux. So what brought you to France originally when you were starting to build that knowledge base of wine? Why France? What was so intriguing to learn more? It was, I first started in a distributor and uh, that was probably 2005.
1: And then they gave me like a little portfolio and one brand was French brand. And I did really well with that brand. So I didn't even understand what a supplier was at that time. I didn't understand the whole chain. Was, I was so new. I was just six months. But I did sell, you know, you, I, I moved in and I, and I started on a new job and I, I had to. So I learned everything that I could about that little wine. And it was a very inexpensive bottle of wine. But that bottle of wine still, when I see it, made my career. So I sold so much of it and I and I really had so much credibility in it that six months into it, The supplier, that creator of of the, of the brand asked me if I wanted to join them. And that's how I started. So I'm like, yes, I will. So and then he's the one that tells me, okay, so we are a huge company. We actually have bottlings in Alsace and Bordeaux. We have wineries here, here, here. So when you're going to do a tour and there was over 2000 different labels in that portfolio and each market, you're going to have different wines. So, so it was my starting point. As soon as I, I understood, you know, the wine industry of, well, well, it could have been Italian. I don't know. The French picked me. <laughs> I could have been. Love them too. Or the Spanish. I love them too. But I can't help to find that for now it's it's, it's kind of awkward, but for me, France, is, it's home. It, I know them, I get them, I understand. I I believe them them. I, I see how much work it, it is to to produce a bottle and, and and how serious we are about what we do. When I was in that company, we had a Cremant right? So we know that champagne is a specific region, tiny region. You could only call a bottle from champagne from champagne. It has to have one of those seven grapes approved. Pretty much, we all know Chardonnay, pinot Pinot menier but there are actually seven. And, uh, and it's all rules that we put together to protect Right, so we nobody could come and buy grapes from other place and change. Now we are uh, an entity that we're very protective about what we, we what we produce. The reason is because every bottle of champagne is guaranteed to be fantastic. That is the whole reason why it's so protected. So. Knowing that there's other regions of France that do Cremant, right? And it's uh, it's traditional method, you know, second fermentation in the bottle, but it could be, you, you know, younger and it could be any other grapes depending on the region. So I love Cremant. I love it too. So as soon as I started that, I'm like, wait, I love selling Cremant, but I want to sell champagne. How do I get there? So it all started from there. How do I get there one day? How do I get there from one day? So I was always looking into one day, maybe a champagne house has an opening. And I swear to God, once I saw I worked for a different champagne house, that it was a fantastic champagne house, uh, smaller too. Once I saw that, that ad, I just said, this is mine. It was mine. I just convinced myself and I even wore a dress that it was white with a gold belt that I swear I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a champagne glass.
0: <laughs> you were dressed for the role. They couldn't I, help I but was, see that.
1: I convinced myself and 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 the manager too. <laughs> and I worked with them for many years. They're still friends.
0: And you got there. You said, I'm going to get to champagne someday. I don't know how, I don't know when, but you did. You absolutely did.
1: I didn't know when or how, but I, I believed it. I truly believed it. Thank you for reminding me because sometimes you forget that that's how it all started and you get so caught up in so many numbers and this and that. And, then, you know, it's uh, I always say it's it champagne, it's fabulous, but it still sells. It's responsibilities. It's making sure that we have inventory. It's going around and it's so many accounts and making sure that they all have what what they need. So it's fun to remind yourself of why why you do what you do but we are all very lucky. I call us, this generation of wine that we're working in this wine, the last generation that we were picked by wine, not the other way. Wine picked us. We had a path and then that path just changed because wine decided that we needed to be here. We are the generation that we get to tell the next one, hey, you know, this is how you do it. If you want to do this, this or that. But we are, we didn't have that. We usually... Everybody that is working in this industry usually are are people that we we started somewhere else and we have a passion for wine and wine chose us. We have a big responsibility. That's how I see it.
0: Wine chose us and talked about that here in Atlanta. I remember looking around the room and everyone was nodding. I mean, we all found the passion for this industry from somewhere else. And those skills do go forward. So I'm thinking about, you know, you came into the wine industry with lots of passion for it and wanting to make a difference. But then as you were building your knowledge of wine, what channels for wine education did you access? Because I've seen the resume and I saw a lot of certifications. So you took your own personal wine education as a priority. So what resources did you use?
1: So at that time, it was, I remember that it was a court, was everything was a court of master sommelier. So I did study and I passed the first, the first level. Then I was about to start the second level then I started studying, but then I, I wanted to, this is, oh my God, this is like 12 years ago or more. I wanted to study in a classroom. That was my my thing. And at that time, there was nobody offering the actual classroom. It was just here's the book and come for an exam. And I don't know about you, but I don't. I, I'm not that great like that. So that is that is a struggle. I went to college when you sat in college and look at the eyes of the professors. So for me, that was a struggle that I had to go through the book. So I found this school that it was in Denver. By the way, they still they still uh there and I uh, called them and I thought was the first phone call that I did and I they convinced me to come and do like it's a it's a 3 month program that you could do it in one week and it's it was probably the most intense week that I had done because it's from 8 to 8 and then at 8 in the next morning you take another exam and it's so and so and so and so and, so and it, it includes service and all of that but I think that that was what worked for me so it worked that it was so condensed and it was so intense and there was no sleeping and it was you know I remember by the way I was I was already working with a French company when I didn't pass the exam of France. You know, could you imagine? Could you imagine?
0: Oh that's gotta be so embarrassed
1: and yes and and I remember the professor is like, no, you come tomorrow and you do Spain and, and, and France, you do it together. And I'm like, I'm not going to sleep, but I'll do it. So the next day I, I passed it. And, uh, and and again, it's it's for myself. Right. At that point, I wanted to learn, but I really wanted to feel like I, I know I belong here. I actually belong here. I want to be proud of, of, of passing these. The the food and wine chemistry pairing was so intense that I don't read a lot of red meat. That I remember, I end up in the hospital. So this is a true story. Wait, <laughs> this is a the,
0: this is actual like health concern came through yes. while you were studying. Oh no,
1: because you have to taste and do your notes right, and the food was. Fabulous, but I don't eat a lot of sausage and, and red meats. and you have to pair them. You have to taste them. So I taste everything. I pass, but then that night in the middle of the night, I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. And it was it was gastritis, but I was so happy. Oh, I remember the professor because I had to miss the next day because I was in the hospital. He, he extended it and gave me another chance on Saturday. He came on Saturday. Claude is his name. He came on Saturday to finish my, my last exam you know, decision to actually go into a, a physical ex- uh, exam in, 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 a, in a classroom. Uh, nowadays, that I see that the WSET is the, the, what everybody takes. I'm like, oh, my God, it's pretty much the WSET, what I did in that school. It's just that it's not certified like that. So I would have to, you know, do it all. But it's in my list. There's also a Champagne Master. So some of my colleagues, they have done it, and it's very intense. But at the same time, when you so many years in the industry, it's scary, right? Not to pass it. Some of my colleagues that have been 20 years here, they didn't pass it. And then somebody that just jumped in a year into the champagne industry, they pass it. So it's you never know. Interesting. But you're
0: always learning and growing. And yes, you have the story that you're telling of the brand. But I can imagine that every time you have a conversation with somebody who is in the distribution role or in a retail role, they're asking questions. So you're constantly having dialogue and learning new things from each other. I mean, you get to live and breathe it now too, Nori, which is pretty cool with that role. I love that part. And also about your brand, you know, one thing that you will know about mine, you know that nobody
1: knows it all. So every single time I sit in a, in a presentation of any of my bosses or colleagues, I learn, I
0: learn, I keep learning. Well, given that you're always exploring, you're always learning, but it's been a long road and you've had lots of different opportunities along the way to grow and Build new skills. So, what advice would you give to someone now who might be interested in pursuing a similar path? You know, maybe it's not champagne, but working for a brand portfolio like you do. What advice would you give someone these days?
1: I would say uh, in my role, usually most of us, we started uh, as in a distributor. So even if it's one year, it doesn't matter. It's, it's for you because we do manage distributors. So it's something that helps us understand that side, right? Once you, you've been in that side and you understand why they're selling like that or that price or etc., it is easier. Plus, they also see you as you're just you're just a colleague. So we call it that we manage distributors, but I really like to call it that those are my colleagues. You know, I don't manage anything. I just tell you what we could do and what we can, and we agree. And or, you know, it's uh we're all in the same industry. So I would say just start from the beginning, you know, the distributor takes one of the exams just so for your knowledge, and start in the distributor and be the best at what you're doing. Because I see it over and over and over that this little girl that started—I'm just thinking of one specifically—that she started, she she was in banking, and she doesn't start until her late 30s, and she's so fantastic right now that she had just skipped and skipped and skipped because it's it's about how much you put into your job, you will be recognized, but uh, it's not gonna come easy. You just have to go and be the best. The best that you could be every single day at your job. There's so many opportunities when when you do what you do and you love what you do and you do it right. I think it's the same in every industry, but let me remind you, just be the best every day at what you could do. Be very creative. People like me that were suppliers, I don't forget that. You know, that's why I always say that about
0: Ryan. I I can't forget how fabulous he is, you know? Be the best, be memorable, and give it your all. You're honestly connecting with people all the time too. So you're investing in the people that you work with and the people that you're supplying these products to. You're actually building genuine relationships. I see that happen all the time in this industry.
1: Absolutely. And let's add to and be extremely nice with their customers. So
0: I was just going to ask what
1: other skills, kindness might be top of that list. Absolutely. Absolutely. And remember, you know, if you're in the wine industry, you're selling wine. You're not curing anything. You know, don't take it so seriously. There's, there's nothing that that probably by now you could throw at me and I'm going to think it's an emergency. You know, I, it's, it, it will fade away you know, do it again, try it again, try your best, be very nice to everybody. You will find customers that are amazing. You will find some that not so much, but that's fine. You can manage it. We all, we all have to do that too. In any, in any product that we're selling, but uh, do your best all the time, all the time and try to do it better next day. And uh, if it, this one didn't work, then maybe next day it will work. So it just... You keep going. You know, we all have hard days, and uh, it's very important to build good connections with the customers. That's that's at the end of the day, that is that is one of the most important.
0: It sounds important, and it also sounds pretty fun. So that is very inspiring to hear, and that you do keep going on those hard days. But I was just thinking, you know, in the world of champagne, and you talk about it all the time, where do we go from here, Nori? What does growing the business look like going into all the challenges and opportunities at the same time that the wine industry as a whole has? What does growing the business into the future look like to you?
1: If you ask my boss... Ah, uh, we always grow. So <laughs> you have to see our old goals every month, every year. So we, you know, we've been lucky to keep growing every every single year. So there's many many things, you know, as a company, you know, it's uh, we have invested in PR, you know, for the first time. So that awareness, right? We are uh, for the first time taking care of the national accounts. That was something that we were so little we couldn't do things like that. So that is national awareness of a product. We're very specific of where the product could be. Right, so you're never going to see it in a discount store and those beautiful clubs that we love to go shopping. But sorry, the product, my product, is not going to be there because we we can't produce it like that and we can't discount it. We're very strategic about about where we put it, and uh, and more than ever, we we work with a very specific target account of, of of accounts, and our number one thing for us is to protect our customers, our current customers. So we always, you know, we start the year with what can we do for you this year? What is it that is going to help you? Is it a tastings? Is it a program for the holidays? Uh, I have another one, a window display that he wanted to sponsor a car show that it's going to have jets too, and we're going to be drinking LP, and you know, that's that's going to create awareness. So it's it's that is that interaction with your customers. We. We, and, and I, I could never work for a company that where I feel like I'm telling the customer what to do or how to manage their business. It's the opposite. We, we go in there and we tell them, how can I help you? And it's the same with the distributors. How can I help you? It's the same with the salespeople. How can I help you till to, to we could achieve this number? Is it doable? Is it not doable? I want to heal the truth because I want to know, you know, if we don't achieve we we we're going to give it all, but if we don't, let me let me know what what can we do next year. And we are closing fiscal right now, so we are in that right now. Like what worked this year? What didn't? What investment I did that it was known that was not. Look at the sales. Okay, we should have done it this way next year.
0: But that means I'm hearing a lot of innovation that then would happen as a part of that process and that it is a open-ended what can we do for you? And if somebody has an outcome that they're looking for, then you get to be creative in the how.
1: I love that part, the creator. I'm, I'm a party planner. I want to go to your birthday. Gatsby, are you kidding me? <laughs> I've been doing my last 15 birthdays. There was a theme every year. And my friends, they all love to dress up about whatever. I've never done Gatsby. <gasps> whatever I tell them to wear, they're like, okay, then let's do it. So they always wear, uh, expect it now in the company we do have a marketing uh, fabulous uh, person so she helps me with things like that february for example we're creating a beautiful wall for a beautiful hotel in, in nashville where we're going to do the photos opportunities and you know macaroons with the lp little sign up little boxes for february with two macaroons inside it's all of that little that i love but again we look into how much did I spend in something like that? Was it worth it? And what else is it worth it for us to, to keep? And that keeps it very entertaining because maybe this one I'm not going to do, but then I'm going to go do something that I haven't I haven't done or I haven't tried before. So that, that always keeps it every year, like fresh and entertaining. It's never the same, that I'll tell you. It's never, ne- the years never look the same.
0: That sounds great to me because you're constantly being challenged and you're constantly being rewarded at the same time when something does go well. And you feel that from the success of your clients, and then internally you can see progress and you can actually have tangible success through the sales. So to me, I love that you have that opportunity to reflect and then grow that way. But where do you get your inspiration from? Are you looking to other wine regions? Do you look at other companies? Do you look at the culture around you, your family, What inspires you for these types of ideas? I'll tell you what, uh, I'll start with what doesn't. I really don't, I just thought about
1: it. I never look into what the others are doing. It's not something that, I even look, I don't, I don't even follow a page of the, I think they're fabulous too, but uh, but it's it's all about internally what what you know we we collaborate a lot, you know. California person, she does an amazing thing with one specific hotel. I'm like, how do I replicate that? And we take it to another level of how else can I do this? And uh and we collaborate a lot into what what else, you know, another, uh, we are fantastic in the UK. Uh, Lauren Ferrier, we are divided in different companies, right? So the UK does something that is completely different with the materials that that they have and what we have. So we do that. We look into, oh, they did this. So how can we get that creative and create something a little bit different, you know, with our own budget. But we're pretty much looking into uh, ourselves and, uh, and pretty things and listening to what the customers tell me. When they tell me I want this is because usually they saw it from somebody else and I'm like, okay, that sounds good, but I'm going to take it to another level. <laughs> How about if we incorporate this and this and that and that and uh, It usually works. It works better. I follow a lot of uh, um, social media, a lot of uh, people that do like displays and cheeses. So I'm always on the look of what's what's next, what's going to look amazing in a photo, what's going to look uh, or giveaways that I could do that they're easy. So they remember, they, they remember about us. And if you have ideas, just
0: send them. This is really cool. You're always going to be having your eyes open to something that sparks a little bit of creativity and you're not afraid to take that chance i can hear just in this one conversation with you that you were always willing to go that extra mile for your customer i hear that in what you're doing you're always looking for what can we do to do better that's a pretty cool place to be they they appreciate they expect and
1: they appreciate that they know that that's who we are Uh, we take it seriously You know, and another thing that I love to do about with my customers is that I I exchange. For example, this customer, it's fantastic and I want to send them a little gift. Then I buy it from another one. For example, a cheesecake place that is fantastic here. So I'm like, okay, the cheesecake place, they actually buy my champagne. So let me just buy a couple and send them to this other retailer. So everybody wins. Every win wins. So it becomes one investment that pays double. Things like that, I'm constantly looking. And uh, and again, I don't know about you, but my Etsy is completely full. I'm always like, what about <laughs> this one, this one? Oh my God, this is... You know what I was looking the other day with with my marketing? A riddling wrap, you know, the old ones. And oh. then we're like, do you think that would hold the bottles? I don't know. I put for Christmas, uh, a Christmas tree that you put bottles And we did it for many years, but then we thought like, what happens if that falls on top of the head of somebody? Maybe not, so I stopped. But it was like a crazy idea that I thought, okay, I found this website. They have it with 40 bottles. We have a full Christmas tree. So I put it all over in Whole Foods and they look beautiful, not doing it anymore. But little things like that, like, well, how can we be different? We have a beautiful car. I don't know if you've seen the photos. I saw the photos Um, of the car. I absolutely did. That was our idea, U.S. team. And we ship it to different places. I still haven't asked for what is my round, but I will bring it to Georgia. So we, from here, we do like a couple of events and then we ship it. I just want to bring it at a time that the the weather is good. So it's probably going to be like uh, between October and November.
0: I was just thinking about this as you're talking about all these fun ways of of elevating the brand and showcasing it in fun new ways. I was gonna ask you what you're looking forward to this year. You've mentioned a few things coming up, but any highlights for you personally that are already on the calendar that you're really excited about? Uh, France again,
1: believe it or not, in May. So we have a new tour, uh, different uh, people from the winery. I take it as uh, I think people that we, we are in this industry, we because we have to fly and go to different places. It's it's just a, a great opportunity. For example, I have a nine year old. So if I could travel in the summer and see my Knoxville distributor, guess what? Uh, Dollywood is in Knoxville. So Dollywood it is. So I incorporate things like that. So she's growing up seeing that and thinking, oh, that, that's on that i get to go with you and then i get to to go into different and and explore a different city we did a green this year in june never been great market i did my events i took my mom and my daughter so my mom and my daughter went everywhere And then I did my events and we get to, she gets to experience that part too. And I love that I get markets that I get to explore. So I'm already organizing, I need to go to Memphis because I think I need to go back to Elvis this year. (laughs) So it's that, that I I attach it to something that is for me and that's fulfilling for me. Uh, Tennessee, the other day, I I pick a hotel that is very holistic. I love that. I, that's my, my send time. Okay, so I'm going to stay in this hotel because actually I could I could extend it one more day and I could do this treatment that is a holistic, you know, energy work or, or bolts or sounds or and that calms me. And that's one of the things that I love the most. You know, I could, I, I work in a very crazy hectic, but then I I, I believe in meditation. I believe in, uh, in being central and, and it helps me keep me like, what? What, what was an emergency? Nah.
0: It's very important because the life of on the road all the time and parties, parties and events and all the things, it can get very fast moving. And so you need those moments. And you just reminded me that even as you're planning these work-related travels, and bringing in your personal connection and your family, it's just a reminder that wine continuously can be parallel and weave into our regular lives at all times. Like you live and breathe in the wine world, but then you're using those opportunities to explore and connect with people and bring your family into it. What a beautiful combination that is. It is it, it is fantastic. You know, if you <laughs> think about it and think, you for reminding me
1: again. It, it's it's very lucky. You know, when I go to Europe uh, or France, I usually try to see if my girlfriend that they live in Puerto Rico could meet me. So last year we did Italy after. So without this job and this opportunity, that wouldn't have been a trip that... And uh, I reach out to the manager of Lauren Perrier in Italy and it turns out that he's he's amazing. So went have dinner. I met all his customers and I get to hear the story of how LP it's managed there and, and learn and more more about that region and, and how different it is, how what we're doing here. But at the same at the end of the day, we have the same with the same story, the same conviction. And it's funny that I, I met I get out on an Uber. And I just see this fabulous man. They're all dressed up, you know, very Italian, very. And he says, ciao. And I'm like, ciao. And I keep walking. And he's like, Nori. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, it's me, Stefano. And I'm like, oh, sorry, but we have never met in person. We're just by email and phone. So I didn't know that was you. And he's like, oh, but I've seen a photo of you. So I knew it was you. And I'm like, well, Stefano, now you know that I'm nice. (laughs) I said hi to a stranger. (laughs) And it was so fun. So that's something that I'm looking forward. Where do I go when I go to France? What else do I go?
0: And you have the opportunity to do that. Thank goodness, because it makes me so happy to see people love their job. And when I first met you here, that was what stuck out to me. And I wanted to learn more about what the world that you live in is like so thank you for taking the time to share that with us and I don't think I'm going to be the only one who wants to connect with you going forward so what's the best way for people to learn more and reach out to you and and connect well my email that is very complicated because of the Lauren
1: Pettier part but you know my name and my last name and Instagram that's that's my account Nori N-O-R-I-E last name C-H-I-N-E-A that's my Instagram and that is me actually and I'll reply to you and I'm most of my customers, you know, I've, I've been in this industry for so long that there was none of this, right? So this is such a fantastic tool because I put all of the events and what we're doing. Customers already know exactly what they're looking for when they see what I. How, what do they want to replicate in their market. And also, you know, LP, I think we mentioned that it's not open to the public, but it's only for people in the industry. So Kelly, if you want to come at some point, I'll be happy to organize you a tour. It's very, very special. It is catered only to you. And if with somebody else. It's, it would only be, it's not a group. We have three, three people right now that they're doing the tours and
0: they work with us. It's, it's actually that work for LP and usually it takes like two hours. Don't uh, tempt me because I have a very big weakness for spontaneously booking flights. So just careful because you tell me that and then I'm going to want to book.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, Me too. Me too. Me, I do that too. You know, I subscribe to
0: all those alerts. I'm like, oh, Boston maybe this weekend why not if you say that it's gonna tempt me i'm i might be happy on a flight to france soon so thank you so so much (laughs) yes it's so great to see you again and we are so lucky to have your wines here but also your knowledge and your expertise coming through here to bring that joy to our market through these wines so thank you for all you do and thanks for your time today thank you so much this was really fun i will see you sometime soon please take care Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.